talk about the future of work. Uh, everybody's talking about the future of work. Last year, uh, New America, which I run, and Bloomberg Beta uh, did something that we call the Shift Commission, the future of work, workers, and technology. And we went across the country. We had nine meetings in five cities with everything from tech entrepreneurs to theologians to union people. And we talked about what the future of work looked like. The important point here was instead of the robots are coming, or no, they're not, and you probably know the estimates on automation range from 49% of jobs to 9% of jobs. Instead of that macro debate, we wanted to get more specific. So we asked everyone to break into groups and to answer two questions. Would there be more or less work? And would that be more tasks or more jobs? So we got to four scenarios. There could be more work and it's all jobs. That looks like our current economy, just it's sort of actually uh, the Luddite paradox, uh, the Luddite fallacy is a fallacy, it's gonna all be fine. Or there could be less work and it could be all tasks, which looks a lot like the Hunger Games, if you think about it. And then there's something in between. There could be uh, less work, but it's all jobs, that looks like France. Uh, and there could be uh, <laughs> more work, but tasks. Many of us think that's the gig economy that we're going to. So we, th we talked about uh, the future work broadly. Uh, we now have concluded, actually, you've got to do that city by city. Rather than the future of work, even at that level, it needs to be much more localized. And I'm going to come back to that theme. But at the same time, there were three themes that came out of that work. Uh, that we heard over and over in different cities about the future of work. And that was care and craft and the circular economy. So let's start with care. You know the numbers, or you should know the numbers. Uh, 10,000 people turn 65 every day. 70% of people over 65 will need long-term care. 80% of that care is given by family members, quote, or in brackets, women. We need those women in the workforce. We are now behind Japan on the number of women in the workforce, and that is a major drag on our economy. Caregiving jobs are growing faster than any other sector, in some cases up to 49% faster uh, than any other uh, sector. And that's just elder care. The millennials are starting to have kids. They're the biggest demographic. They're starting to have children. They're fixated on childcare, and childcare for two kids Costs more, than, costs more than rent. Let me say that again. Childcare for two kids costs more than rent in all 50 states. So big market for care. But that's a much too narrow definition of care. When we talk about care that way, we're thinking about mostly physical care. Washing, bathing, dressing, minding, watching. But care, you need to think about care much more broadly. Care is any job, any activity that is investing in someone else's potential and growth. It is uh, the, I'll, I got to this when I was writing my book, Unfinished Business, uh, about women and men uh, and work and family. And I came on this little book uh, that was written in 1971 by Milton Meyerhoff, who is a philosopher, a man, 1971, well before work-life work balance ever entered the vocabulary. It's called On Caring. And he defined care as exactly when you invest in someone else's potential. 
when you put other people first. And actually all of us are hardwired biologically to have a competitive side and a caring side. We wouldn't have survived if we weren't competitive, if we weren't pushing, if we weren't developing, that's a driver of civilization, but we also wouldn't have survived if we weren't social animals and knew how to take care of, uh, take care of each other. So care, we need to think about much more broadly. And as you know, when you invest in other people, at least those of you who are parents or teachers or mentors, you get as much as they do, right? The satisfaction of watching your children or your mentees or your people you manage grow can be enormous. So when we think about care for the future of work, we need to think about it much more broadly all sorts of medical care, obviously, nursing, uh, any kind of, of care that, that is not just medicine, but actually taking care of people. But then education, all of education. Now I know, I've only been here a day, but I already know ed tech is out. That we're not interested in ed tech. I would say, if you look at early education, and we know from the neuroscience, there is no single greater investment we can make as a country for our economy, for our security, for our equality, than investing in education zero to eight. That's when kids' brains form to determine what they can learn for the rest of their lives. So there's no greater investment. Early ed, K through 12, but then of course the real other market is lifelong investment. I'm already telling my sons, it's okay if you drop out of college, if you, can, if you got a job now, your education will be lifelong. You will be continually learning, getting the, the, the skills you need, the knowledge you need, and going in and out of jobs and, and learning and sometimes doing them together. So huge education market. And then coaching of any description. We know that for peak performance, you need a coach all the time. No athlete would say, oh, I had a coach, now I can just do it on my own. No singer would say, I had a coach, I can do it on my own. Coaching is a lifelong job and we're starting to see a proliferation of different types of coaches. Navigators, people who can help other people navigate complex systems, advisors, pastors, Note also, these are care jobs men will take. Much easier to be a coach or a navigator or an advisor uh, than a nurse uh, or a, a, the kind of traditional uh, female designations of these types of jobs. So care is investing in the young, nurturing and coaching people through life, and giving older people their best day, which is really what elder care has to become. Tech can help all those jobs, but we can't automate them, which is another reason they are the future of work. You can use robots to help with physical care, but a lot of this really does require direct human interaction, even if digitally aided. All right, so the second future of work is craft. Many of you will know Jim Fallow's work, Jim Fallows, who writes for The Atlantic. He was uh, covering tech back in the 90s. He's pretty much always ahead of the game. He and his wife, Deb, uh, have a book coming out called Our Towns, A Journey of 10,000 Miles to the Heart of America. They spent three years flying around America in a Cirrus plane, very small runways, looking at small and mid-sized cities. Think of this as Steve Case's Rise of the Rest, but smaller uh, cities. And what they found were the seeds of American renewal across the country, in Mississippi, in Maine, in South Dakota, lots of places you would not expect. 
And at the end of the book, and you can order it, it's not out yet, um, it, you can, but you can pre-order it, it's called Our Towns. At the end, they talk about what are the signs of a city that is coming back. And Jim loves his beer, and he says one sign is a craft brewery, and I'll quote him. He says, a city on the way back will have one or more craft breweries and probably some small distilleries. A town that has them also has a certain kind of entrepreneur and a critical mass of young people. That actually explains a lot. So enough of a market to sell a craft beer, the kind of entrepreneurs that would create them, uh, and young people around. But it's not just craft beer. Craft beer is the vanguard of a revival of craft, and by that I, also, I mean customized, specialized goods that you can think of as digitally enabled cottage industry. Right? We went from cottage industry to mass production and factories. We are going back to cottage industry in the sense that it is things you can make in your community at relatively small scale. They find micro factories, and GE is actually investing in some of these, which is interesting because GE represents 20th century large-scale mass production, high volume, a lot of capital, uh, very large scale. Micro factories are small scale, uh, low, small volume, uh, but little bets. So you can invest quickly and you can design and customize traditional manuf traditionally manufactured goods. And you can get them out fast, which often makes them cheaper now than getting things uh, outsourced. So essentially, if we think about craft, you think about all the things we used to make locally that we now make mass production can now be made in a customizable way using new software to make it much more efficient, new hardware, obviously 3D printing, laser cutting, all the things that allow people to make things again, uh, and traditional industries. So care and craft. Finally, the circular economy. So one of these shift commission meetings, Guy said, came from Atlanta, and he said, look, what I really see in Atlanta is we need to tear down the buildings of the 20th century. All those strip malls. I live in Princeton, New Jersey. Route one is nothing but a strip mall. We, you know this, we are not shopping in strip malls. So there's an enormous industry in tearing things down. But of course, it's not just tearing things down. It's also renewing lots of old spaces. Downtowns are coming back across the United States. It's another thing Jim and Deb say uh, about when you, the sign of a, a city that is coming back is they take their downtown and they renovate and critically they repurpose those spaces. Those factories become incubators, co-working spaces. They are renewed and repurposed for today's economy. Uh, so when we think about the circular economy, it is that. It's the tearing down, but it's the renewing, it's the repurposing, and of course it's the reusing, because we will not be able to continue with the amount of waste we have now. So a lot of that is also how do you renew in a way that means you're, you're actually uh, not actually generating waste. All right, that's the future of work. 
broad definition of care to include health and education uh, and coaching and navigating and helping other human beings reach their potential. Uh, a vision of craft that is really a return to what we used to make locally but digitally enabled. And a circular economy that thinks about how we renew and reuse all the structures uh, that we built in the 20th century. So that's a great future of work, except that none of that can scale. So you're now thinking, so why am I listening to you? Because we want things that scale. But you can't scale this stuff. By definition, what can be scaled, what can be automated is what is, can be routine, uh, what is broadly available to everyone and mass produced. This is stuff that requires the human factor. So if you're going to scale in ways that enable the human future of work, you have to think about scale very differently. You have to think about small size and large scale. So for an example, not Starbucks, where you have the same coffee shop across the country or on every block if you're in New York, but rather something like the original Blogger became Blogspot or Evite, things that can be done at mass, but absolutely customized for people who are creating the, either they need to be teaching, they need to be helping specific people, uh, they need very specific manufacturing, or they're working in a very different community. And similarly, we, you know, again, from the rise of the rest, tech is rising across the country, but those towns aren't gonna look like Sil Silicon Valley. They're gonna develop tech and customize it to their industries. So when you think about the kinds of tech that will enable the future of work. The future of work, we're talking about where humans are still the ones doing the work. It's got to be the kind of tech that will actually enable customization, community building, and care. Thank you very much. <laughs>